Voice in the Wilderness, Internet Radio. Enlightening the world every week. It's not just knowing about the doctrine in the Bible. That is not what we stand for here. Streaming powerful, biblically-based messages live down the internet. This congregation may never be gathered together again as we see it. Voice in the Wilderness, Internet Radio. Enlightening the world every week. Good evening. Welcome to Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio. We are streaming live down the internet from London. This show is dedicated to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. On tonight's show, we will continue to discuss the subject, the third angel's message. We will be studying what the Bible teaches. Our guest speaker is based in Maryland in the United States of America. More about our guest after we've had some music. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. His love has no limit, his grace has no measure, his power has no boundary, no none. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus He giveth and giveth and giveth again When we have exhausted our store of endurance when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's forgiving is only begun. His love has no limit, His grace has no measure, His power has no boundary, no none to men. For out of His infinite riches in Jesus, He giveth and giveth and giveth
The Third Angel's Message We will continue to discuss this subject tonight with Elder Ray Ricardo. Have a pen and paper ready to write down some notes. Let's now call Elder Ricardo and see if it is available. Hello? Hello. Good evening. Elder Ricardo, you are live on Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio. How are you this evening, Elder? I'm fine, John. And yourself? Yes, I'm fine, thanks. Yes, thank you. Praise the Lord. Yes, all is well. Well, Mm. Elder Ricardo, tonight we'll be discussing these questions together. Who is the beast? What is his mark? What does it mean? To receive the mark in the right hand, what does it mean to receive the mark in the forehead? What is the name of the beast and what is the number of his name? So, Elder Ricardo, as usual, before we share and discuss God's word, should we have a word of prayer, please? Our Father in heaven, again, we thank you for the privilege and opportunity we have to take this time to meditate upon your word. And this evening, dear Lord, we have a very important topic, one that many are searching and trying to understand the deep meanings of these things. Grant us wisdom from above and common sense. And I pray, dear Lord, that you'll help John and I to explain these things in a very simple way that others may understand clearly what it is that you have for them. So bless us now. May your angels go before us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Elder Ricardo, as we've been reiterating for the past two radio shows now, again, to remind the listeners, who is the beast? Well, you know, John, again, when you're looking back at Revelation chapter 14, here we're looking at now the third angel's message, and we're looking at the issue of the warning here. It says, I'm going to read now verse 9. It says, Third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast, his image, and receive his mark on his forehead or in his hand, yes. the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. And then he goes on to talk about how to be poured out without mixture in the cup of his indignation. So here we have the third angel's message, and it's commencing with a warning and admonition, and it then really uh, gets into the seriousness of the message regarding the nature of the consequences of those who refuse to heed that message. So we're dealing with life and death, and not just in this world, but in the world to come. Yes. And uh, so it's a very serious, serious uh, message here. So the beast power that, that the uh, third angel's message is warning you about is the same one that has fallen in, in the second angel's message. Babylon has fallen. And, um, and, um, and this is why you have the third one coming out. Don't worship this beast power. Yes. Babylon is another name given to her. And, of course, the context of this um, message is seen in the light of Revelation 13. And then when you have the first and second beast of Revelation 13, you have to ask yourself, then, which of the two does this beast in Revelation 14 refer to? Is it yes. the first one? Is it the second one? Well, we know that it's not the second one. We know it's the first one. Um, even though the second one is the critical one that brings about the formation of the image and um, causes all the world to wonder after the beast. 
So you see very clearly then that it's the second one, uh, the beast here in Revelation 13, namely the United States of America, apostate Protestantism in the United States of America, that will begin to put the wheels in motion, as we say, regarding the nature of worship towards the beast power. And that power there in Revelation 13, referring to the first beast, is none other than the papacy. And again, now we're referring to the system. The Bible makes it very clear. It's not the people. It's the system that is uh, the the iniquitous uh, institution. And so the warning, the admonition is very clear, very, very clear, that when you look at Revelation 14, 9, that uh, the beast power here is none other than the Roman Catholic Church. Yes, and once again, listeners, as Elder DiCardo said, God is pointing out the system in the Scripture. You know, there are, it's not, there are individuals within that system who have God in, who God has in his heart, I should say. They're living up to the light that they know. But the Lord is making plain, because even as you had shared, Elder DiCardo, it's clear in Daniel 7, verse 23, because the Lord says the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth. So the Lord is laying down the principle, isn't he? You see, mm. He's not saying the fourth beast shall be the people. He's saying the fourth kingdom. And that just mm-hmm. came to my mind as you shared. So listeners, as we are sharing the word of God with you, and as Elder Ricardo said, we're just sharing that which God has declared, that the Lord <laughs> is looking at the system and the principles that are involved in this system that he has to warn us about. And sad to say, that system is the papacy that God has outlined and which his history has made plain to the earth is the system that God is talking about. So the papacy is the beast foretold to be in power by God at the proclamation of the judgment in 1844, as we studied, and historical events in this world have proven this to be the case. And we see here that God's word is 100% accurate. And again, you can listen to our previous shows in order to see where we had took you through the Bible to show you that God's word outlines this fact. So, moving on now. Now that we've once again established that the beast mentioned in the third angel's message is the papacy, what is his mark? Now, John, this is very interesting uh, because whether uh, our listeners, for those who have been listening along along the way regarding these messages, last week we indirectly introduced that. Uh, and let me explain what I mean when I say that. If you look at Revelation 14.9, let's look very carefully now because yes. there's something very critical that's attached to the mark of the beast. Look what it says. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice. So in other words, clarity and certainty. Uh, yes. No obscurity. This, um, this is a message that is to be given <clears throat> to the, all the world, and it is to be given in an unapologetic manner. And so it needs to be clear and precise. And then it goes on, if any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or his hand. Now, stop right there. Notice notice that what's attached to the image, to the beast, uh, uh, to the, excuse me, to the mark of the beast is the issue of worship yes worship now this is very critical so what i'm going to do is i want to remind our listeners of uh, what we talked about on on the november the 13th 
And that's last week's message. And I want to go back to Revelation 13, and let's look at a few verses regarding worship. Let's look at this now. Revelation 13, verse 4, look what it says here. And they worshiped the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Now, I want to remind our listeners, ultimately, in the end, the worshiping of the beast is the worshiping of Satan. Look at verse 4 once again. They worship the dragon. And who's the dragon? The dragon is Satan. There's no question about Now, I understand the historical fulfillment regarding pagan Rome. No problem whatsoever. But ultimately, who's the power behind it all? See, who's the one that is the one that's uh, instigating, stirring the pot? If you go over to Revelation 12 and verse 9, he tells you, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. So notice when worshiping the beast ultimately end, who are they really worshiping? They're worshiping Satan. All right. So that's something we must always remember in the context of the mark of the beast. All right. Let's continue on. Let's keep going on now. Look at this in verse verse eight, Revelation chapter 13, eight. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, referring to the beast. And ultimately, the end is very fascinating. Who are they ultimately worshiping? Yes. Satan. Yes. So they're going to be worshiping Satan. Let's go over to verse 12 real quick. Look at verse 12. He exercised all the power of the first beast before him and causeth them who, who dwell on the earth to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Again, worshiping the beast. All right. Now look what it goes on to say here in verse 15. Look what it says here. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause, that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So notice again, worshiping of the beast. And then, of course, we climax once more in Revelation 14, 9. Worship is attached to the image of the beast and the mark of the beast. So what are we dealing with here? We're dealing with a mark of authority where the Church of Rome claims uh, she is a a, um, a superior and more powerful, demanding worship. So this is very, very serious. So when we're looking at the concept of worship relative to the mark, we've got to ask ourselves, well, then what constitutes the authority of Rome regarding the nature of worship? uh, And what would they claim that to be? Now, I'm going to read you a statement. This is from a doctoral catechism from uh, Stephen Keenan. Yes. This is from the Third American Edition. Uh, 1876. This is on page 174. This is a question and answer format, and I'm going to give it to you right here. Um, Question. Have you any other way of proving that the church has power to institute festivals of precept? Now, again, notice the the way in which the question is being framed. The church has power to to institute precepts that require uh, people to keep and to observe okay so is there any other way you can prove the catholic church has power that it can institute precepts that need that need to be obeyed answer here's the answer listen very carefully had she not such power she could not have done in which all modern religionists agree with her she could not have substituted the observance of sunday the first day of the week for the observance of saturday the seventh day a change for which there is no scriptural authority. And so right from the Catholic Church's authoritative writings, we have the very argument they make regarding the nature of her authority. 
And that authority relegates itself down to the issue of worship, and it comes down to the issue of the day in which you worship. Yes. And they claim they have the authority, the, the power to institute days of worship, days of festivities, in order which people are required, according to Rome, to obey. And that is very clearly indicated throughout the Catholic catechisms and other documents where she claims unapologetically uh, she has the authority to change the day of worship from Saturday, the day in which God said in the Ten Commandments there in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, it says, I remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Yes. And, uh, and, and, and to, to Sunday, where of which the Catholic Church admittedly claims there's no scriptural authority for keeping Sunday. There's no scriptural authority for Sunday worship. So what is the mark? When you look at this, when he's, you're asking yourself, what is the mark? The mark is the mark of her authority yes. regarding the nature of worship. And it relegates itself down to, and again, we're using her statements. These are her words, not mine, where she claims that the mark of her authority relegates itself down to the day of worship. And that happens to be Sunday, which is proof, as they would say, proof of their authority. And uh, we who... Uh, believe in the Holy Bible as the foundation of our faith, not in the traditions of men, not in the church or the authority of the state, but rather what the Holy Bible teaches. We reject such an assertion because this, in the final analysis, would relegate the Catholic Church to the position where she's above the, above the Holy Bible. Yes. And we, we, def we, we absolutely uh, cannot accept such an interpretation. Nothing, no one, no institution, no pope, no priest, no pastor— no church committee is above the word of God. Yes. God's word is supreme. And this is what the Protestant forefathers fought over, Martin Luther and Calvin and Knox and the Hussites and the, and, uh, and the Waldensians, the Albigenses, the Huguenots, etc. All fought tenaciously to preserve uh, uh, scriptural authority above the church. And above the state, by the way. And so, no question about it. So, from the from Rome's own mouth, the mark of her authority is Sunday worship. Yes. And this is, I'm going to add to what Elder Ricardo said. For those of you who, who think that we've got, that we have not given enough evidence, as the sign of the authority of the Catholic Church, papist writers cite the very act of changing the Sabbath into Sunday which Protestants allow of, because by keeping Sunday, they acknowledge the church's power to ordain feasts and to command them under sin. And that's from Henry Tuberville, an abridgment of the Christian Doctrine, page 58. Once again, the, the Catholic Church stating that by keeping Sunday, people acknowledge the church's power. Now, another quote again. Romanists declare that the observance of Sunday by the Protestants in an homage they pay in spite of themselves, to the authority of the Catholic Church. And that's from Monsignor Segur, plain talk about the Protestantism of today, page 213. And before um, I bring Elder Ricardo in, listeners, we'd like to remind you again about our series about does the Bible teach about a global conspiracy? Because there is a global conspiracy, and as Elder Ricardo said, which Satan has set up through his systems of government, which and this whole conspiracy is against the law of God. You see, and that's why the system has been put in place to, to it's 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 to rebel against the law of God 
and Satan has sought to set his mark of authority upon this earth by instituting a false day of worship, a day that's in honor that to him rather than to the true God of heaven and the true creator of the heaven and an earth. See? And so um, now I'd just also like to say this, that Christians of past generations have observed the Sunday, supposing that in so doing, they were keeping the Bible Sabbath, and there are now true Christians in every church, not accepting the Roman Catholic communion, who honestly believe that Sunday is the day of Sabbath of divine appointment, and that God does accept their sincerity of purpose and their integrity before him. But as we'll study, when Sunday observance shall be enforced by law, and the world shall be enlightened concerning the obligation of the true Sabbath, then whosoever shall transgress the command of God to obey a precept, which is no higher authority than that of Rome, they will thereby be honouring popery above God. And so, these are the things that we need to understand, listeners, and this is why the third angels is being given. It's to enlighten us and to enlighten the world about this system of government that's slowly gaining in power in the world, that's seeking to overthrow the true worship of God. And that now being the case now, um, Elder Ricardo, I don't know if you have any more points on this part, or shall we move on to the next question now? What does it mean to receive the mark in the right hand? Mm, well, let me just say this to, to complement uh, what you've been saying. It's very clear um, from the scriptures, as well as the testimony of Catholic authors, what they believe to be the very mark of their authority. Yes. Um, there's just no question. As a matter of fact, there's an interesting statement from the Catholic record of London, Ontario, Canada, 1923, where uh, th they state the following, quote, the church is above the Bible, and this transference of Sabbath observance from Saturday to Sunday is proof positive of that fact, end of quote. So once again, you clearly have from uh, Roman authorities yes. their position regarding this. It is their proof. They believe they're above the Bible. And anyone who keeps Sunday observance is acknowledging that fact, whether they want to admit it or not or understand it or not. Uh, that is the reality. Um, and as the Catholic Church has stated multiple times, uh, uh, where they uh, make it very clear there is no scriptural authority for Sunday observance, none whatsoever. Um, so, you know, look, it, it's very well stated, as you've indicated, and I think that the matter is uh, if someone was an honest observer and uh, researching these facts out, they would find um, all this information confirmed. These are not writings that are hidden, nope. uh, statements that are obscure or rare. They're blatantly put in the catechisms and in other uh, uh, Vatican uh, publications. And so they have made these statements throughout um, their, their history. And this is their real critical issue. Just as a point of reference, by the way, yes. this is a very fascinating point that came up during the Council of Trent. When the issue of they had to deal with many, many issues during yes. the time of the uh, Reformation because they really weren't sure what to do with this man, Martin Luther, and all the things that were going on and the ref you know, the Protestant Reformation. One of the things they took up was the issue of the Sabbath 
And there were those at that time who were arguing in favor of Saturday as the Sabbath. And then uh, the Jesuit priest came in and said, well, if we acknowledge Saturday to be the Sabbath, then there goes the very foundation of the Catholic authority. We no mm-hmm. longer have that authority to, to uh, rule uh, to the degree in which we have claimed we have. And so it was at the Council of Trent they rejected the Seventh-day Sabbath and it tenaciously held to the observance of Sunday worship. And from that day forward, they made it a, a cornerstone um, doctrine of their authority. And so it, yes. it all goes back to that period. Yes. So, yes, let's, uh, uh, John, we can go f- further on. I mean, this is a subject that I can just tell our listeners. This is a subject, believe me, you can spend hours on. It is that yes. exhaustive in terms of the, the amount of information and the history. Yes. Yes. Most certainly. So, Elder, yes. So what does it mean to receive the mark in the right hand? All right, let's look at this. Now, when you're looking at this uh, very clearly, uh, you know, when it says here, um, uh, let's go back and um, right here in verse 9, it says, And worship the beast, if any man worship the beast in his image, receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand. So clearly... Uh, there's a very fascinating, you know, concept. I mean, why not just one location? Yes. You know, why not just resolve it on that issue and be done with it? But apparently God is indicating something very fascinating regarding the nature of those who follow after the beast. Yes. Apparently there's going to be two groups of people who are all going to follow the beast. Yes. One receives it in the, in the right hand, the other receives it in the forehead. So here we have those who are going to worship the Antichrist, and they're classified into two groups. So what does it mean to have it in their right hand? In the right hand, if you study uh, Bible prophecy and, and really scriptures in general when it refers yes. to the right hand, right hand of power, strength. So they're following after. They're going yes. after. But mm-hmm. why? Now notice, to those who have it in the right hand, obviously the implication is they don't have it in the mind. Well, what does that mean? In other words, when you look at these two groups, and they're all part of the group who follow after the Antichrist, one, as I say, receives it in the right hand, the other in the forehead. So what are we talking about? So the people who have it in the right hand, uh, I believe there are those who are going to be convinced that what's going on is not right. There's something wrong. They know there's something wrong. They're not consciously committed to the cause. Um, um, they, um, they see that they, they, um, they just, you know, are not, uh, um, going to, uh, um, allow their minds to go down that path. In other yes. words, they know, they know in their minds, this is wrong, but for economic reasons, for political reasons, for, uh, who multiple reasons and that's by the way to our listeners it's not really relevant as to the reason or the motivation in which why these you know these people have chosen to follow the antichrist the fundamental issue is uh, you know do they follow him and yes this group does so the motivation is not an excuse remember there's a way that seemeth right unto a man but the yes. end thereof are the ways of death so this yes. is, must be understood so i think there's going to be a class of people who are convinced that Sunday is not the day of worship, 
that Saturday is the true day that God requires according to the Ten Commandments and that God means exactly what he says and that God does not uh, allow mankind to pick and choose which commandment to obey and that it relegates itself down to the issue of authority. But they're going to follow anyway. They're going to yes. go along. They're just going to they're going to follow the right hand of the papacy. They're just going to keep, you know, fall in line, as we say. Yes. Elder Ricardo, I'd just like to share a couple of texts here because, you know, mm. we like to share in the text to show the people that we're not speaking our own words, just about the right hand. And um, Exodus chapter 15 and verse 6 says, Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, have dashed in pieces the enemy. Once again, Isaiah chapter 62, verse 8. The first part, the Lord have sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength. So you see, listeners, so I'm just sharing what Elder, what Elder DiCarlo sorry, has shared with you, that the scriptures state that the right hand is symbolic of power, of strength. And so what's the Bible sharing with us and stating what the Lord is, what Jesus is, because he's the revelator, is that individuals will give their strength to mm-hmm. um, this mark. They will follow along with it, as Elder DiCarlo has said, because they just don't basically want to lose economically, lose out in their pocket, you know. And it's sad mm. that people will sell themselves, the Lord says, for personal gain, you see. So mm. I just wanted to share those Bible texts to just to um, show that that's the foundation from which Elder DiCardo has um, built his um, premise upon. So, yes, Elder DiCardo, carry on, please. Well, then, when you look at the mark of the beast in the forehead, again, now, yes. when you're looking at the forehead, what? Now, now we're dealing with, it's very interesting, you're, you're actually dealing with uh, anatomy and physiology of the mind. Yes. We're talking about the frontal lobe, the forehead. All right? And so, if you look at the brain and you look at the, and the, as I say, the breakdown of the brain, your frontal lobe, we know this from science. This is yes. clearly uh, proven. There's no, uh, this is not a myth. This is a factual uh, statement. That that's where you make all your decisions. And this is where your reasoning power begins. This is where you start to process information and you begin to decide what you're going to do. Yes. And so the forehead uh, indicates that the mark will be there with, with another group of people. And again, these people will be um, – Unlike some people, even though they'll follow, they'll give their right arm, as, as you said, very beautifully articulated. They'll, they'll support the, the Rome with every ounce of their power or strength, yes. uh, even though they may not be fully convinced. It doesn't matter. They're just going to go along. And for whatever reason, again, that's not relevant. But here we have another group that actually receives it in their forehead. They are convinced. They believe it. They're blindly following this. This is something that they're willing to, to uh, go all yes. the way regarding these things. And um, they're they're just uh, look. Let me just put it to you another way. Jesus, very interesting, stated uh, a fascinating concept. He said, you know, even though one rose from the dead, they still won't believe. There's yes. a blindness that the Pharisees had, um, an an absolute, um, um, a, a, you know, just a, a bullheadedness, a, a, just a determined effort to. They were so. Um, determined to kill him, 
they didn't care. The evidence was not relevant anymore. It just didn't matter then because they weren't willing to give up their their power. Yes. And they blindly followed the, 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 their evil ways. And others went along with them in their minds, completely convinced that they were correct, even though they were completely wrong. Yes. And I do believe there are going to be people who are going to be in their minds completely convinced this is the way it should be. This is how it should happen. And we need to go along with this. And they're, and they're thoroughly converted, as we say, uh, regarding these things. But again, there's a way that seems right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. Sincerity, honesty, does not sanctify error. Yes. It doesn't justify wrong. So you can be as sincere as you want to be. But again, that doesn't mean that you're standing on the platform of truth. Yes. And so I think when you look at these two groups of people, it's fascinating when you start to analyze who's actually going to follow. And again, you have people who are going to be with their, you know, they're going to be you know, full-fledged, committed. They're going to be people who are, I think, convinced that this is not right. There's something wrong. This is, you know, this shouldn't be. But they're going to go along anyway. So I think there are people in those two groups. That's what you're getting. It comes down to that. And by the way, look, let's be fair about this. In those two groups, you have multiple other you know, issues as to why. Yes. And motivation, is you can see, is not really the issue. One thing is clear. They're all brought to the point where they're going to worship the Antichrist. And in so doing, they're going to acknowledge papal authority. And that papal authority relegates itself down to the issue of worship, and that is Sunday worship. So clearly the Bible uh, uh, brings this point out very, very um, clearly. Yes. And you know, Elder Ricardo, as I was studying um, for this show, I had um, looked at um, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18. And mm. it says, The Lord was instructing Israel through Moses, and the instruction was, therefore shall you lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul. And it says, bind them, this is God's words, for a sign upon your hand that they may be as yep. frontless between your eyes. See? So it was yep. God's purpose that his law would be like a sign upon a person's hand, like, you know, the true mark of a person's hand, and as frontless between their eyes. And I was looking at that. What does it mean between your eyes? That's your forehead. And, That's it. And what did the Jews wear upon their forehead? It was a frontlet to remind them to keep the law of God. So you yep. see, listeners, so this concept was taught in the Old Testament, but in the true way that God designed for people to, um, to, to for, sorry, for the true way that a person should live, that they should give all their strength to his law and their mind should be focused upon his law. But here now, mm. we, 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 we see the reverse where people's strength and mind is given to the beast you see so can you see um listeners and i thought to interject that because there's so much nonsense out there whether it's on the internet or what people preach that you're looking at the barcode or a chip that's put in you but that's not an, mm. that's not the issue the issue is about the nope. about obedience and allegiance with whether you're you're obedient and and you have allegiance to the true god you know to the true creator or whether your allegiance is given to the rebel of the universe, and that's Satan, see? And um, so, you know, and then again, 
Another Bible text in Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 3 to 6, again talking about the forehead. It says, therefore, sorry, I'll start from verse chapter 1, verse 16, because again, I just thought this interesting to look at um, Elder DiCarlo. It says, again, when Israel was in an apostasy, and I will utter my judgments against them, touching all their wickedness, who have forsaken me, and have burned incense unto other gods, so there we go, again, spiritual fornication, and not worship the works of their own hands. See, so here we see that Israel were disobedient, and how did the Lord describe them? Therefore the showers have been withholden, and there have been no latter rain, and thou hadst a whore's forehead. Thou refused to be ashamed. So you see, once again, and that's from Jeremiah 3, verse um, free. So when the church is in the backslidden condition, the Lord says that it has a, for, a horse forehead, rebelling against God's law, worshipping other gods. So we see all throughout Scripture this, this um, concept of obedience and disobedience and how God symbolizes his people in an obedient condition and disobedient condition. And it's all about worship, see? So um, I just thought to share that um, you know these points as well, really, to show and to for the listeners to hear and understand that we're not teaching heresy here. We're only sharing that yeah. which the Bible teaches. You see, it's all about worship, as Elder Ricardo has been sharing, and that's what the Bible states. His shared listeners, text after text, to show that what the Word says: worship, worship, worship. The issues of a worship. Who do you worship? And so. We see the the issue is about worship. Worshipping the beast is to worship satanic government, a government which rebels against the law of God and his sovereign power of love. It's basically to worship a system of hatred. And this is why God has to destroy, sadly, all that give their allegiance to to such a system. For rather than bringing peace to the universe, the individuals will testify that they will bring war and they will ruin it. And that's what we see in this history of the world, you know. And war, 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 is strife because human beings don't want to submit to the law of God and to his sovereign power of love, but they rather would follow the rebel. So at this point, we'll have a break and then we'll carry on with our discussion this evening.
the three angels' message. Now, looking at the third angel's message, as we continue discussing the subject tonight, Elder DiCarlo, <coughs> now let's look at this question. What is the name of the beast? All right, well, let's look now very carefully as we look at this particular point, because when you're looking again at the mark of the beast, as you have indicated clearly, there are those who are under the assumption that it is a microchip or um, a barcode or, um, you know, a tattoo or whatever yes. they may think. You know, there's so many views. But look, we need uh, to remind our listeners we have to stick with the scriptures and not with a uh, preconceived notion. We don't want to follow uh, suppositions that have uh, been brought about by conjecture. We want to be able to base everything we, we know on the facts, and that, of course, can only be based on the Word of God. Amen. So here, here, here we have, as we look at this issue of the, um, the name of the beast. So let's look at this, all right? Let's look very carefully. As we're looking at um, uh, Revelation chapter 13, and once again, let's go back to the issue of what we're dealing with. We're looking at um, at the end of verse 14, where he talks about they should uh, uh, make an image to the beast. Yes. And then verse 15, he gives life to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause, as many would not worship the image of the beast, should be killed. And then he goes on to say, he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, so no one is excluded to receive the mark in the right hand or on their foreheads. And he says that no man might buy or sell except or save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, this is where you first get the introduction of the name of the beast and the number of his name. Now, by the way, let me remind our listeners a little bit about Hebrew poetry. When you're dealing with Hebrew poetry, it's, there's a, there's many forms of Eastern poetry, um, and one of them is called synonymous parallelism. Yes. So, in other words, you'll have an, a, a line that is given. In the form of a uh, of a statement, and then a follow, another statement that follows thereafter that will not necessarily rhyme because rhyming is something of a more of a Western concept than yes. an Eastern, uh, but it's still a form of poetry. And so, what you have here is a, the second line, which is a, a parallel to the first line and is synonymous, and it may be stated in a different way, but it has the same meaning. So, look what it says here the name of the beast or the number of his name. So, in other words, this number has a direct correlation to the name. Somehow, the number of the beast. Uh, will indicate what the name is, and the name yes. will indicate the number. So this is a very critical key. It is a vital key to look at. And then he goes on in verse 18 to explain. He's expounding now. He says, now here's wisdom. So now he's telling you, now basically, I want you to pay attention because I'm going to give you the answer, but I'm not going to give it to you in a, in a direct way as much as you might think. I'm just going to give you um, identifying marks whereby you can then go further and have a clear understanding. He says, here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding. Uh, and that's very interesting. Let him that hath understanding. Yes. Not everybody has understanding. Bible says, Jesus says, you know, he who has eyes to see, but, but they may not be able to see. You may have ears to hear, but you cannot hear. And so it depends on whether or not you're sincere and honest. Do you really love the truth? Do you want to know the truth? 
And if you really genuinely love the truth and want to know the truth, then you will be given an understanding of the things that God will reveal to you. It's not that God doesn't want to re- uh, keep things hidden from you, but if you have pride of heart, your, your, your pride is going to prevent you from understanding the things that God has for you. So here we find now, here is wisdom, here is wisdom, let him that hath understanding count, underscore that word, count. Now, in in the translation, the King James, of course, the word uses the word count, but the word also in the original means to add up. In other words, you're counting, you're counting up a number to and it's supposed to equal something. And he tells you what it is. Now, what he says, count the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man. Now, remember, what is the number of the man uh, of the beast? It's the name of the beast. So there is a name that is relegated to the man. That is the number of the beast. And that number is 666. So in other words, there is a name given to the man who's the head of the beast. In other words, this man, by the way, and we Paul talks about in Thessalonians, he's called the man of sin. Yes, right. In in Daniel chapter 7, let's go over there real quick. Let's look at Daniel chapter 7 and look at what it says here regarding a man. He says this um, in verse 8, I consider the horns and behold, there came up among them another little horn. This is a, the Antichrist. This is a direct po- parallel and uh, to the first beast of Revelation 13. So this is the Antichrist. He said, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots and behold, in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of man and a mouth speaking great things. So we see that very yes. clear indication. Now, the, the Hebrew word for man there in, in Daniel 7 means not a particular man, but rather a succession of men who would head up that institution. Yes. And so, in other words, when one man occupies the position of authority uh, and he dies, uh, another man will be chosen to take his place so that the institution will always have a head at the top to represent the institution as a whole. Yes. So who is the head of the Roman Catholic Church? Who is the visual head that represents the Vatican and the, and the papacy and, and, and the Catholic religion? Well, it is the Pope. So clearly here we have an indication. So now you're looking at the number the number of the man. So we know it's his name. And another word for name there is actually title. It's a, an official title relegated to the Pope that is who is the head of the, the system. Uh, and of course, we know that that name is the number and that number will equal 666. So here he says, you, you who have wisdom, you need to add up. You need to add up the title the name that has been given to the Pope, because that's a key to unlock the mystery to 666. Now, let me say something to our listeners one more time before we go into this. I want to make it clear that 666 is not the mark of the beast. Let me repeat that one more time. 666 is not the mark of the beast we have just covered what the mark of the beast uh, uh, is we have already dealt with that issue we're now dealing with an identifying mark 666 does not indicate what the mark is rather it is a title given to the pope and that title 
who's which is the his name, which is again the title. That is a, a number or a name that will equal six six six. So look, this is just another identify mark. Who is the Antichrist? Well, his name, his title will equal six six six. So when you're looking at this. What uh, what is the name, the official name that they give the pope? Um, and now I want to do a little bit of history. Let's do a little background just right. for a moment. Now, when we're looking at the official title or a title given to the pope, there are many, many titles uh, that are authorized and and so forth. But there's one particular title that is used uh, and throughout history has been used. As a matter of fact, the title. Uh, actually originates back into the Council of Trent. Yes, right. um, uh, so it has its origin all the way back there. Of course, it evolved. Uh, it, it, they shortened the title up to, to the present day, which one it, it is now. And of course, let me just say this. That title, um, as I say, there are many, but this one title is a title that you'll find throughout the writings of, of official uh, Catholic uh, publications. And uh, there was a time when that title was at one time inscribed at the door of the Vatican. Yes. It was a time when there wa- that title was inscribed on the Pope's, uh, uh, you know, a mitre, that triple mitre. Uh, and so the triple crown, as they say, you know, the triple mitre crown. And that name was inscribed on there in diamonds. Um, and so now it's no longer there. Uh, I want to make this clear that those uh, now, whether they destroyed them, whether they just removed them and hid them away from public view or whatever is not relevant. At one time, we know from testimonies, from historical accounts to yes. those who witness it and 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 recorded it down in history. These uh, are facts that are given in, in writings uh, throughout the history, but now they no longer uh, are there. However, though, the title does not go away. Let me explain what I mean. Throughout history, even though that the title is no longer a visual one on official papal, uh, the papal crown or the papal uh, door or the throne or whatever, um, the thing is that that title is still in use. And that title is the Vicar of the Son of God. Now, that title is used over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, you can look it up on the Internet. You can research it, Vicar of the Son of God, and you can see it over again and again throughout publications of the Catholic Church. Now, what does the Vicar of the Son of God uh, indicate regarding this? In other words, when you're looking at this, it says count, count the number. So you need to add up. So obviously it's telling you that certain uh, n- uh, letters have value. Uh, and and therefore, the, when you add up the value of those letters, that means that that, that title or that name should equal 666. Mm-hmm. In the Latin, in the Latin language for Vicar of the Son of God, you have the title Vicarius Fili Dei. Let me read it to our our listeners. That's V-I-C-A-R-I-U-S. Vicarious, Philly, F-I-L-I-I, and then Dei, D-E-I. Now, if you'll take those letters and then ascribe to them the 
value, the Roman, you know, the value of the letters in terms of the actual um, Roman numerals, as we say, yes, and add them up, you'll come up to the actual name. And, and we know this to be the case and the value of that name. There's just no question about that. History is replete. And by the way, uh, I just want to let our listeners know this is not a, a unique thing. This is throughout uh, 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 various uh, writers. Matter of fact, I'm, uh, uh, yes. there's one famous uh, writer, German, reformed German, uh, back in 1842, Joseph F. Berg. I uh, wrote a book called The Great Apostasy, and um, he wrote on page – let me get it here. Make sure I get it right for yes. our listeners. Um, on page 157 – actually, it goes all the way back to 156, 57, and 58. And he proves both in the Hebrew, the Latin, and the Greek uh, that the uh, titles given to Rome all come to the number 666. Yes. And he states on page 158, he gives the title Vicarious Philly Day, Vicar of the Son of God. This is a yes. direct quote. He right. goes on. I'll read it now. He says, one of the names which the Pope aggregates to himself is Vicar of the Son of God. And then he has in quotations, Vicarious Philly Day. Analyze this title. and Those letters which are employed by the ancient to signify different numbers will when added together, make the sum total of 666. And then, of course, he clearly goes on to show it. Yes. So here you find throughout Christendom, other Protestants coming to the same conclusion throughout history. They realize that number refers to Rome. There's no question about that. That is a clear, clear understanding. Yes. Yes, Elder Ricardo. And listeners, I pray that... You take down all the references and study for yourselves to see whether what we've been sharing with you is true or not. And I'd also like to share what um, has been revealed by, um, or what was revealed by a um, teacher. Um, his name was Mel Vance, and he had written a book called The Trail of the Serpent, dealing with ancient numerology see because um i'd like to add to the evidence that elder and decada so has shared um this evening and he this man the late mel vance he the lord had gifted him to be a great scholar of ancient mystical writings now why is the lord use the number 666 is to identify the system and i notice now listen to what the late Mel Vance had wrote and what he had found out. He had wrote, the number 666 is the great master summary number. And this number is called a summary number both by Irenaeus and by writers in the secret societies. Now listen, listeners, the number which sums up all the gods of the Babylonian astrological system. I'll read that again. The number which sums up all the gods of the Babylonian astrological system, the number 666. Now he carries on. Though the early church leaders showed themselves strongly opposed to Gnosticism, many scholars point out that it was later embraced by the church. And Mont Falcon tells us that demon worship was carried on in the early church by those claiming to be bishops of Jesus Christ. 
And the Gnostics combined the worship of the serpent with the worship of Christ. They combined elements from the Babylonian, Persian, Egyptian, Greek, Roman, Hebrew, and Christian religion. What did they combine it into? The universal or Catholic system which embraced all others. And it's only natural that they should take over also the summary number, which includes in its mystic embrace the whole circuit of the heavens and all its gods, the number 666, the secret and most sacred number we believe in all paganism. You see, because the Pope is at, is at the head of the of a system of baptized paganism, and that's the, the main reason why that number has been assigned to him, because he is the priest-king of satanic religion upon earth. And people may find it's hard to believe, but it's, it's, it's the plain fact, you see. And again... Um, Mel Vance writes long after the Gnostics were using the number there may be a much stronger basis for finding the number in the title than is first supposed it is only when we deal with a spiritual ruler directly associated with Babylonian astrology and the zodiac it is only when these conditions are met that the number 666 becomes significant in the name or title you see this number, we believe, applies to the apostasy which has taken all the threads spun by and in the mysteries and woven them into a universal system of religion embracing all others and disguised with a Christian nomenclature. So that number 666, and that, the reason why it's, 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 the Pope has that title is because he is Satan's representative upon earth. He is the head of his Babylonian system of religion, you see, and so, you know, um, because some will say, may, may try to say, well, you know, um, that the, the numbers adding up to 666 are not enough. There's much more evidence than that, listeners. You know, much more evidence than that. See, so whichever way a person wants to go, the fact of the matter is, is that the number 666 is the sign of the head of Satan's system of religion. And as Elder Ricardo has said, that's, that's, the, the leader who has successfully taken up that title throughout the ages has that number as his title. Well, his title is reflective of that number, you see. So it's the head of, whoever has that title is the, at the head of Satan's mystery religions on this earth. And that's what the system of the papacy is. It's a system of mystery religion. You know, so I just thought to share this um, other supportive evidence to see for you to see that God's word is true. It's all to do with worship. It's all to do with um, this false system of worship that Satan has set up in rebellion against um, the true God and and the God of heaven. And that's why the third angel's message is given, and that's why the warnings are given. So, Elder Ricardo, I um, don't know if you have any other thoughts before we have one more break about this point. Well, I think, again, when you look at the scripture integrity uh, regarding this, there's only one way in which you can understand it, and that has to be the way in which uh, it simply states it. And that is that, again, 666 is not the mark of the beast, and that it can only be understood when you calculate the name of the papacy, the pope. And and when you look at the, the official title, the carries uh, uh, Philly Day. There's no 
uh, question as to uh, what it uh, equals and what the name is. So, yes, absolutely, John. And I really did appreciate that quotation from Mel Vance. Um, is he a ancient author? Oh, um, Mel Vance, he, um, apparently he was a, a teacher in um, the Seventh-day Adventist Church in, the, in Australia in the 1940s. He was. And ah, the, yeah, the book is The Trailer of the Serpent. Yes, that's taken from that's page 104. It is. Um, the book was published good. in India, and I believe it was published there because um, that material couldn't really be published anywhere else. Yes, you see? sure, so, sure. Yes, yes. And um, so, yes, it's a book that I would well, say. Yes, sorry, carry on. The reason order. I bring that up, John, no, the reason I bring that up is because that's a fascinating, uh, back in the 17th century, a man by the name of Francis Potter. Yes. Uh, wrote a book on the interpretation of 666, and he gives some of the very interesting insight. Not that I agree with every aspect that he brought up, but yes. it's very fascinating when you look at the uh, paganized number 666. It is really devilish. It's yes. really demonic. People have no idea. Why, you know, it is fascinating that God draws the attention to certain things in order that we might clearly understand the true meaning of what's really going on. When we're talking about the Antichrist, the mark of the beast, his image of the beast, the number of his name, we're dealing with something that is just pure evil. Yes. It's just that simple. Yes, most certainly, Elder. I couldn't agree more. Well, listeners, we'll have another break and we'll come back and round off with some closing thoughts.
third angel's message. As we continue to study week after week. Elder Ricardo, closing thoughts for this evening, please. Well, once again, we want to make it very clear that the mark of the beast is separate from the number of the beast, the name of the beast. They're not the same. They're two different things. Um, and uh, when you look at the mark of the beast, we know it to refer to the mark of a papal authority. She has claimed over and over again to, that uh, Sunday is the mark of her authority, that she's above the Bible. And she has stated clearly uh, anyone who uh, keeps Sunday observance is acknowledging that fact, whether they like it or not. Um, also, we uh, look very carefully at the number of the beast, the number of the man. And uh, one of the things I want to make very clear once again to our listeners, there are other names that could be used to compute, you know, compute up to, to 666. But that doesn't mean that just because you can add up a name to the number 666 means that is the fulfillment of the prophecy. One of the things you have to remember, you got to stick with the identifying marks given within the context of the prophecy itself and all of that it indicates. Clearly, it has to refer to the papacy. It can't be referring to someone other figure in the head, for example, Napoleon or or uh, Nero or uh, um, maybe even a modern day historical figure, etc. Um, it has to refer to the title that is given to the Roman pontiff, because remember, it says the title of the man. Paul talked about that man as the man of sin in Thessalonians. And then we looked at Daniel chapter 7, referring to the eyes of the, like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things, a little horn. And that it means a succession of men that would head up that institution. And of course, so this is what you're referring to there. It must refer to the man or the individual who's the head of the representative of the papal system. And that can only refer to the official title that is given over and over again throughout the Catholic uh, uh, writings, uh, Vicarious Philly Day, uh, Vicar of the Son of God. So remember, dear friends, listen, God is revealing these things because he wants you to be intelligent and understanding uh, the true meaning of these things. So you're not deceived, you're not misled and, 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 and go astray. He wants you in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus Christ is the only hope and answer to our problems. If you just surrender your heart to him now, I tell you what, he'll do things for you that you could never fathom or understand. He'll just bless you abundantly. And uh, I want to encourage you to look to Jesus and give your heart to him. Because this is really what this is all about. This is message if it, uh, it, it is to expose the darkness of, uh, of what Satan is doing in order that we might be led to the light because the light is shining brighter and brighter until the day when Christ shall return in the clouds of glory. And I pray that you'll be there on that glorious day and may God help us all. Amen. Let us pray, Elder Dakota, as we close this evening. Our Father in heaven, again, we thank you once again for the privilege and opportunity we have to take the time to meditate on your word. Thank you for the privilege and the blessing to once again go back over these things and receive clarity and certainty and understand the true meaning of what is uh, hidden there. I know that sometimes these subjects can be uh, mind-twisting and they can be challenging on many levels. I know that 
for many a year, this caused me uh, many questions, but I'm thankful to know that if we'll just patiently wait upon you, study the word of the Lord for what it is and and not try to uh, put our own private interpretation in there, we will be led to the truth because we know that you've promised that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. So bless us now, we pray. And uh, God, thank you once again for everything you've ever done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Elder Ricardo, once again, thank you for joining us on Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio. Listeners, if you have any questions or if you would like more information, please send an email to inquiries at wildernesspublications.org or you can send a text message to 07944-062-786. If you live in the United Kingdom, please contact us with your name and address we will send you a free bookmark called The Third Angel's Message. If you have the Android app for Voice in the Wilderness, Internet Radio, go to the ebook section, then find the title, Bible Readings for the Home. At chapter 52, you will find the subject, The Third Angel's Message. This chapter will give you more information about today's topic. You can also listen to and download our radio show podcasts at https colon forward slash forward slash voice dash in dash the dash wilderness dot podcast page dot io forward slash on next week's show we will still continue to discuss this subject the third angel's message well that's it for tonight's show until next week good night and god bless Voice in the Wilderness, Internet Radio. Enlightening the world every week. It's not just knowing about the doctrine in the Bible. That is not what we stand for here. Streaming powerful, biblically-based messages. This congregation may never be gathered together again as we see it. Voice in the Wilderness, Internet Radio. Enlightening the world every week.